It's a great time we had outdoors last week, and and thankful for all who made that happen. Thanks, Peter and others, Ray and others who made that happen so well and, and enjoyable, and food was great. And uh, we got air conditioning in here, so it's a good deal. And we're grateful for those who are helping the middle school students and the uh, Teen Reach Adventure Camp students uh, get to know Jesus better and, and be served well and, and blessed. So we're happy to have some of the missing to be doing that this morning. So if you've been here for, uh, at Harvest for at least the past few weeks or months, you know we've been going through the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible. And we've been pausing, slowing down a bit to cover the Ten Commandments. So today we're looking at the Eighth Commandment from Exodus 20.15, which says, You shall not steal. So if we're clear on that, I can just be done and we can get on with other parts of the service. But if you need me to comment on it, I can do that. So uh, uh, your uh, New City Catechism, uh, we mentioned that the past couple weeks, says, what is, the, what is God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? says that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else, nor withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Now, at this point, that seems pretty clear, but, but I'm going to ask a question. Is the problem that we own stuff, is that what makes stealing a, a big deal? If, if we just didn't own things, if we didn't have possessions, then would there be no stealing? Well, John Lennon thought so in his song, Imagine, so he said, he calls us to imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Notice I'm not singing the melody, so you just have to imagine it. <laughs> imagine all the people sharing all the world. You who? Okay, that's all you're going to get. Well... The Eighth Commandment makes it very clear that the possessions are valid. And in fact, in, in Exodus chapter 22, uh, God talks a lot about property and possessions. And, and so he, he, he gives us that right to own things. He cares about possessions and, and private property. In, in the book of Acts, we see that um, uh, the, the early church where people freely gave and shared and provided for each other, they did so by selling their possessions. They weren't living in a commune or a communist setting where nobody owned anything. They just had all, all group uh, ownership. It was just they, they owned things, but they sold them because they loved their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in need, and they, um, they provided that way. So they sold off their possessions so that they could contribute to meet the needs. They recognized that the things they owned were entrusted to them by God, and they were to be used for, for his glory and for others' good, as well as providing for their own families. So possessions are not bad. Uh, God has given them to us to use to serve him and to serve others. That's why it's wrong for others to steal them. So just in case you needed to know that, that's why it's wrong to steal. So what are the ways we can break this commandment? You might be one of the 86% of all adults who say, I've never broken this commandment. And uh, that would be great if that's true. So we're going to uh, go through a, a, a a long list of, of ways that it can happen, ways that you can violate this commandment, and, and you'll see that there are many ways that as individuals and as a society we can violate the Eighth Commandment. So I hope in this message, even to a degree, that you'll be depressed a bit about how widespread the breaking of the Eighth Commandment actually is. 
and I hope we will recognize any ways that we have been breaking it, if you have, and make corrections. And, and we're going to see what God calls us to in his positive intention for this commandment. So I'm going to pray and ask for some help. Father, we look to you as the giver of every good gift. You are the ultimate owner of everything because you're creator and you're sovereign over all things. And you've entrusted to us things to use and to, to provide for us. You're good that way and, and to use to serve others. So help us see, Father, what you want us to learn and, and be gripped by in terms of the Eighth Commandment. And for your glory, help us to understand more of Christ because of our time together today. We ask this in his name. Amen. So, uh, theft or robbery, of course, is wrong. That's the first thing we think of, outright theft and robbery. So, for example, the person or persons who stole my daughter Emily's car back in July 22nd from Vancouver parking garage uh, was wrong. And uh, it's too bad he didn't read Exodus 2015 before they stole the car. That might have prevented them from stealing. I can just imagine the conversation. Hey, guys, I just read Exodus 2015. We're not supposed to do this. But they didn't obviously do that, so they, they stole her car. And she does have the number one most popular stolen car in America, the 97 Honda Accord. So that's made it, I guess, easy pickings. And one thing I don't want to do is give you any ideas in this sermon about things that you can do. So this is not for you, for you to pursue examples to follow. Uh, people breaking into cars at trailheads is common here in the Northwest. Recreational time and season that people uh, seek cars that they can break into at trailheads. Um, there's carjacking and burglaries. Uh, stealing packages off por- people's front porches is all the rage this, these days. And uh, my wife was in Safeway the other day, and uh, one of the employees told, told her that people frequently fill up the baskets, you know, the hand-carry baskets with food and, and walk out. And she said at the beginning of the day they had 200 baskets, and, and she could only find eight. So she said lots and lots of people do that, just walk out with baskets of food. So obviously that's a pretty uh, easy-to-identify violation of, of Eighth Commandment. Kidnapping is wrong. It's also called man-stealing. Whoever steals a man and sells him, anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. That's what uh, Moses said in Exodus 21:16. So the slave trade in Europe and North America in the 16 to 1800s was grievously violating this commandment. Today, human trafficking violates this commandment. And there are 45 million people in some form of slavery today who have been stolen. I was reading the other day about the uh, the Yazidi uh, women who were who were kidnapped by uh, ISIS fighters in in Iraq, and how just devastated and messed up they were from from that experience. So it's happening, and there's a lot of man stealing, a lot of kidnapping still going on. We get Amber Alerts when kids are kidnapped, and so. That's one clear violation. Another violation of it is deceptive business practices. So you read a lot in Proverbs in particular about deceptive weights and measures. Uh, unequal weights and, and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord, it says in, in Proverbs 20, verse 10. So that's like today's schemes made to look legitimate. Um, there's a lot of phone scams, phone schemes. 
claims to be debt collectors or the IRS. I had my first false uh, IRS threatening call the other day, and so it was, it was a privilege to get that. What's amazing is that they're, they're raking in hundreds of thousands of dollars a day through fake IRS phone calls, so don't fall for it. And pay your taxes just in case. It is really the IRS. Um, many scams target the elderly. You may be aware of that. People who befriend elderly people when they're trust and try to uh, manipulate them into um, getting hold of their money or their property. Embezzlement, where people have been trusted to care for um, funds, gets stolen. One out of ten Protestant churches have embezzlement problems. So it's, it's very prevalent. Uh, Ponzi scheme. You've ever heard of a Ponzi scheme? That's where they uh, say, hey, low-risk investment, just give me your money and I'll, I'll get you a good return. And they never really invest it. They just use the payments of other investors to cover, the, cover what they say they're going to pay the prior investors, and they keep doing that, and eventually they get caught. So you may have heard the name Bernie Madoff. Uh, he, got, he took about $50 billion from investors, and he got, was arrested back in 2008. And um, he's just now serving a 120-year prison sentence. Selling defective goods or services or enticing people to buy something you know is not good for them is a problem. So if you bought that ab, ab, abdominizer to get the six-pack and didn't work, that's a rip-off. Most of us have probably bought something that, that they felt didn't do what was advertised or what said it was going to do, and, and so they've um, been stolen from by paying for something that doesn't work or false advertising. If you're in business or provide a service, of course, you should not use any deceptive practices. And if you're selling your home or selling a car, be honest about what, what you're selling. So the first car that we bought for my son, um, we put more money into that, like, eight or ten times over than what we, what we paid for it for repairs. So when I sold that car, when we sold that vehicle, I gave them like a, a, a folder, a file folder this thick, so they could see this. Well, all I've done to it, just so you know, we've done all we can, so try to give them, um, but let the buyer beware on that one. So you need to ask if your business or service, is it creating a desire for something that is harmful? as well. So don't sell things that are harmful or unnecessary. Then there's overcharging for goods and services. Now, I like the free market economy. That's good, but it sometimes can lend itself to a being overcharged for things more than they're worth. It's, it's why monopolies are problematic, because they um, eliminate the competition and they can run the prices up. I hate to give examples of, of Price, prices that are overpriced because I don't have expertise in, in enough areas to, to really comment on that with authority. But I think the question for us is not, not how much can I get for this item, rather how much should I charge for this item? Um, in other words, how much is it really worth? The typical answer is, well, whatever someone's willing to pay for it. And that, that has a, a part in determining the price, but I think as, as Christians, we should be concerned about, is this not just what can I get for this, but is this price just and fair? Is it a just and fair price? So Martin Luther, the reformer in Germany, was asked by a man, uh, what should I do to really serve the Lord? 
He said, well, what, what do you do? What's your job? He said, well, I make shoes. He said, well, then make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price. So fair pricing. Um, then there's a the problem of false currency, counterfeit money. So you may not be intentionally using counterfeit money, but do you bounce checks? That can be a problem. A man that we knew uh, where we lived before living here uh, up in Port Angeles had a travel, travel business, and he, he, he bounced checks all the time. Actually, he wrote checks, and he covered them. That was a deception. So he, it was kind of like a Ponzi scheme. He, he made deals for um, purchasing travel, airline tickets, and so forth, and then he would take the money from that and, and then pay it off to the next person and without ever having enough money in his account. And if he was, like, juggling the accounts in the air, and they all came collapsing down on him after a few years. And lots of people got um, lost money in that. So don't, don't spend money you don't have. Don't deceive others that way. How about gambling? How about casinos? Well, um, they don't produce new goods and services. They exchange money from one to another without creating a new product of value, except for the experience. And that depends upon lots of people losing money. So I'm not going to say that some limited uh, playing casino games is wrong for every person. But if you're going to be in casinos playing games, just know that the more you do that, the more you feed a system that depends on people losing money and leads many to gambling addiction. And even though lotteries are commonplace today, they act as a tax on the poor, they, who spend too much of the, what little they have in hopes of winning big. So people who earn 13000 a year or less spend 9% of their income on lottery tickets. The poorest third of, of households buy half of all lottery tickets. In 2014, Americans spent more than $70 billion on lottery tickets. That's more than they spent on books, video games, tickets for movies, and sporting events combined. So... You need to think about that. Uh, if you're feeling guilty about that, just slip your lottery ticket in the offering. We'll take care of it. It says in Proverbs 13:11, "Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it." There's a problem of excessive interest. So what's that excessive interest? Well, in in uh, Exodus 22, uh, Moses, God said, don't charge interest to the poor. So um, excessive interest is when you see people who have come into hard times, and rather than thinking, how can I help them, uh, how can I take advantage of them and charge them high interest? So uh, the, the payday loan places, the, the, uh, the annualized interest rate can be at 400%. And it can be as high as 5,000%. So that seems like that's taking advantage of people who are in a hard spot. Credit card interest rates are high, so don't carry balances on your credit card and pay 15, 18, 20% interest. Cheating the state. You may say, well, hey, what's the problem with that? It's just the government. Well, the commandment doesn't say you shall not steal except if it is from the government. So pay your taxes, pay what's due. You don't have to pay more than what's, what you owe, but pay what you owe to the government. 
Uh, one way theft from the government can occur is through frivolous lawsuits, which cost taxpayers money. So whenever you hear somebody, well, the government needs to pay for this, you're saying taxpayers need to pay for this because that, that's where the government gets its money. There's uh, um, under-the-table deals that try to avoid paying taxes as well. We can be overtaxed, so what is overtaxation? Well, overtaxation, I think it's hard to evaluate that and, and be um, very definitive, but it's where what we're paying taxes to, to pay for is not effectively addressing the problem and providing the service that we are paying for and providing mostly salaries for layers of bureaucrats. Cheating employees. Both Jesus and Paul said a worker is worthy of his wages and says that in the Old Testament as well. So pay your employees what they're due. Um, how does this happen today? Well, is it by the government not having a $15 per hour uh, minimum wage? Or is it by shipping jobs overseas to sweatshops with horrendous working conditions where the employer can pay a fraction of the wage they pay here? Or is it by signing work to a lower-wage worker that is really the responsibility of a higher-wage worker? So there are ways that people um, avoid paying a fair wage. Then there's insurance fraud. Wow, I was just I was blown away by how much insurance fraud there is. Lots and lots of insurance fraud. They're they're made for automobile life insurance, health insurance, property insurance. Auto insurance fraud can can include um, more than one claim for an injury, filing claims for injuries not related to the accident, uh, staging automobile collisions, and faking your car stolen. So Emily didn't do that. So it, I I know she lost her car for sure. So she's not trying to pull something on the insurance company. There are many examples in the health insurance, and you would be surprised. It, it's easy to see how um, that's fraud in, in health insurance is feeding into the, the high cost of, of health care and health insurance. Billions of dollars are uh, fraudulently lost in Medicare. So when I lived in Dallas, Texas, I had a dentist, and he was telling me that he, um, his wife gave birth to a child, and so he was looking at the billing that they build for all of the costs, and he, he found, like, I don't know what the percentage was, but lots and lots of things that were billed for that were illegitimate, things that they didn't do, things that were not done, uh, supplies that were not used, and they did everything they could to inflate the bill. So he confronted them about it, and they kept um, trying to talk their way out of it. And they finally admitted, well, if we don't do this, we can't cover the cost of those who can't pay. So they came clean on that and admitted that they were puff puffing up his bill. So lots and lots of insurance fraud. Um, property insurance, a lot of fraud through arson. And how do you do life insurance fraud? Well, you fake your death, and you might think that that might, might get noticed that you're still living. And eventually what some of the people do is they say, well, I had amnesia for these past several years, so I, I, I don't remember anything. So it's incredible how creative people are in when it comes to life insurance or insurance fraud. Plagiarism, stealing people's words, taking credit for them as your own. 
online piracy of movies, music, software. Then there's predatory lending and borrowing. So what led to the housing crisis and banking crisis of 2008? Well, as you can imagine, there's lots of things that went into that, but uh, lenders collected fees from people who didn't really need to refinance. They sold mortgages to people, uh, products that they, they could not really afford. So they, they would take loans that they could pay at the beginning, and, and later on uh, they couldn't afford the loan. So through adjustable rate mortgages, balloon payments, and so forth. So this is a good rule to go by. If a lender is claiming that he, we can get you into a loan you don't qualify for, you don't want that loan. There were predatory appraisers, so appraisers would... Um, appraised the houses at very high value and that helped out the, the lenders as well and builders were building houses like crazy and they, they, they could sell their houses at inflated prices but eventually everything caught up with the bubble and it burst a lot of borrowers lied on their loan applications they lied about their income their assets, their employment, their credit history about whether they intended to live in the house they were purchasing. One economist observed that as many as 70% of mortgages which def defaulted in the first year turned out to have false information on the original loan application. The next bubble that's about to burst, I think, is student loan bubble. That's a massive problem hanging out there. Stealing from employers is wrong. The ways you can do that are um, not using time well, not doing your job well, um, goofing around, stealing things from the warehouse, falsifying sign-in sheets, giving merchandise away, taking from the cash register. In 2015, businesses lost about $44 billion due to employee theft and shoplifting. But the employee theft accounted for six times as much of the loss as did the shoplifting. My dad was a bank executive, and he constantly dealt with employee theft. Driving so much of this, and, and there's other things I could list, but I'm, I'm going to quit with the list and say the greed is what's driving this. Jesus said, uh, take care and be on your guard against all greed, all covetousness. So what the commandment is not just saying don't steal, but it's saying what you, that you should work. R rather than taking what doesn't belong to you, you should work and earn your own money. I'm amazed at, at the brain power that, that thieves are able to exercise for illegitimate things. If they just use them for legitimate things, they could, make, they could have a good job and, and make a good living. Not only do you earn your own money, but you produce goods and services for the good of others in your community and, and state and nation. And you also have resources to help people in need. So Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work, with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So it's good to work, earn money, contribute to the greater good, and to help those in need. People who may be in need, of widows, elderly, disabled, if we are able to work, we should, so as not to unnecessarily be dependent on others, so uh, including the government. So we see this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 to 12. Paul says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may work 
walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. When you don't work when you are able and are dependent on others, you don't present a good witness good of integrity to outsiders. And this evidently was continuing to be a problem in this church because in 2 Thessalonians, the second letter to this church, in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 12, Paul says, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you are walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. So if you're not willing to work, don't expect others to feed you. If you're able, earn your own living. One of the legacies of the Reformation of 1500s and the Puritans of, of the 1600s was the inherent value of hard work. And you've heard probably the phrase, the Protestant work ethic. So I wonder where we're at with that today. We're not just working for the weekend. We aren't just working to consume stuff. We're working to do good for, for others and to provide for our families. We've become a nation of consumers and debtors rather than of producers and savers. Then there's the issue of um, robbing God. Can we rob God? You read that in, in Malachi 3, 8, and 9, where <clears throat> God says Israel was robbing him by not bringing in the full tithe, which meant at least 10% from their crops. Although under the New Covenant, we don't have tithing laws like we did in Israel, um, we still are to give some of our income to support Christ's mission in the, in the world through his church. It's a way of using the money God has entrusted to us to advance his kingdom. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 16 where he says, make friends for yourselves by means of your, of your money uh, so that you can enter God's kingdom with, with these people. So make your money work for the gospel, he says. Americans, American Christians spend more on pet food than they do on missions, so we need to in, improve our priorities with that. Make your money work for the gospel. Buy gospel stock and invest in God's kingdom work. Now, is not giving or stingy giving to the work of the gospel robbing God? Well, there are many non-Christian people in the world who don't steal, are hard workers, they do good for others, they're, they're, they're generous, they produce goods and services that are helpful, and they, uh, such people are instruments of God's common grace in the world. So God uses that for good in the world, but Christians should certainly excel in all these aspects of work and business. That honors God as well as a way of loving our neighbors, but we have the additional obligation and privilege to invest in the work of the gospel locally and globally. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will, there will your heart be also. The treasure principle is you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. So what hope is there for those who steal? Well, Jesus was crucified between two robbers, two thieves, two violators of the Eighth Commandment. One robber says, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, 
Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus died to save repentant thieves who turned to him. It's like it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We haven't given God the glory due to him. He deserves what he deserves, the obedience and the gratitude that we owe him. So for us not to be judged for stealing what is his, for not giving him what is rightfully his, he paid for our, our theft himself. We robbed him of glory and God paid for it through the body and blood of his son. And as Paul said, if you were a thief in Christ, you're, a, you're an ex-thief. It's no longer your identity. If you were greedy, you're no longer greedy. You're in Christ. You're cleansed. You're justified. So we have the opportunity today to take the symbols of Christ's body and blood, either side of the room, during our time of worship following this message. The bread symbolizing Christ's body, in which he died and obeyed God perfectly. And the cup symbolizing his blood, which he shed. If you have not ever put your trust in Christ and sought him for, for eternal life, forgiveness of sins, for salvation, for life in him. Um, you won't, these elements won't be meaningful to you. They won't be representing what, you're, what you believe. So just bypass the elements. But if you have put your trust in Christ and you have relied upon him and his righteousness to save you and give you life, then uh, this is for you to take this meal. So I'll pray and prepare us for taking the Lord's Supper and for um, further worship. Father, we thank you that though we took what was not ours and we did not give you what is due, the glory of obedience, of honoring you, of serving you, of being grateful to you, that you provided through your son the payment for our sins, for our crimes of stealing what belongs to you. We do pray, Father, that we would be a people of integrity in, in our various callings as students, uh, workers, business owners, um, employers, employees, government workers, whatever, where you have us, that we would honor you by how we handle finances in our homes, in our businesses. We would not use deceptive tactics. We would not take what doesn't belong to us. But we would be diligent to be good stewards, good managers of what you've entrusted to us. We thank you that you so richly saved us. You didn't just um, put out the bare minimum, but you, you did all that we needed and uh, way beyond anything we could ask or think. You showered us with grace and mercy and powerful salvation in Jesus Christ who though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. So thank you, Father, that by, not by any deeds that we do, because all of our deeds are polluted, 
but because of his deeds, what he has accomplished for us on the cross and his death and resurrection and his ascension to your right hand and, and, and his sure uh, work for us through the Holy Spirit. We belong to him. We're being cleansed. We're being renewed. We're, we're uh, purchased into saving relationship, union with him. So thank you for giving us that um, incredibly powerful gift. So may we reflect on these things, Father, and turn away from all areas of sin and be uh, seeking you for forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus as we worship you and take from the Lord's Supper. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.